2: This is all of it. I'm Matt Katz in for Allison Stewart. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. I'm grateful you're here on today's show. Over the last decade, Eric, the architect helped keep Brooklyn hip hop on the map with his sonically adventurous group, Flatbush zombies. After moving to Los Angeles a few years ago, he's out now with his debut solo album, and he joins us for a listening party. A new book about the craft of writing from author Jamie Attenberg suggests writing 1,000 words per day, whether they're part of your story or simply a letter to yourself about the story or anything else. No judgments. It's called 1,000 Words, A Writer's Guide to Staying Creative, Focused, and Productive All Year Round. Plus, a debut novel imagines the nation after the first reparation bills for descendants of enslaved Africans has just been passed. It's titled... Acts of Forgiveness, author Maura Cheeks joins us to discuss. That's the plan, so let's get this started with WNYC's George Bodarki. One of the things that I love about radio is that it lets you hear people's voices in their own words. And what's specifically wonderful about local radio is you get to hear the voices of your neighbors in your community and maybe that community a mile away where you've never been. And that's why today we wanted to lift up the work of our Community Partnerships desk here at WNYC. Uh, During Morning Edition and All Things Considered, they bring you stories from across the five boroughs, into the suburbs. The desk is headed by George Bodarki, who joins me right now in the studio. He's always looking for suggestions, so we'll be taking your calls this hour. And George, welcome to All of It. Hey, Matt. How are you? Doing great. You did not have a long way to commute. Your desk is literally the closest <laughs> desk to the Olivet studio. I have a front row view every day <laughs> of Olivet, of yes. Very good. So tell us what you're doing at that des- desk. Tell us what the Community Partnership Desk is. Yes.
3: Yeah, so the desk is really committed to building relationships and understanding the diverse needs and interests of the region's communities. We do that through various projects and initiatives. We just launched a project called Suds and Civics. Now, in this project, we're spending time in laundromats across the New York Metro area to find out what people want to know about the upcoming 2024 election and what issues they want to see the candidates address. So, Matt, if you need a load done, I'm your guy. <laughs> Great. But really, at the At the core of it, we strive to amplify voices within our neighborhoods. We have another project that I call Our City, Our Stories. And in that project, we're out on the streets with a nonprofit organization, Street Lab. We literally set up tables on the street in neighborhoods across the five boroughs and simply ask people to share a story. Like, what's your story? We all have stories, and we've heard so many great ones. We've heard stories about people overcoming challenges, things like drug addiction to rebuild their lives, or people who decided to start a baking business during COVID, and so many stories of neighborhood pride, people who just feel so much love for their neighborhoods and the people and the places in their neighborhoods. You know, Matt, there are stories in every subway car, in every bodega, at every bus stop. And the more we hear each other's stories, the more we grow as individuals, and perhaps we understand a little bit more that we may all be more alike than we think. Sure. And there's so much diversity in the city. And I think it's really, really important. And we strive to make sure that we're f- reflecting that diversity in the voices from our neighborhoods, but at the same time, reflecting our similarities
2: and what connects us as people that is absolutely it's so cool it's such a great concept such a such cool ideas in terms of like where you go about the laundromats. How did you come to that? Why laundromats?
3: Yeah. So a number of years ago, I did a story about a artist who was doing ESL classes at a laundromat in Washington Heights. Okay, And I saw how people were so engaged. And first of all, people have time between washing and folding clothes, right? right. You're just yeah. sitting there waiting and staring at the machines spinning around. (laughs) So why not do something productive? So that was tucked away in the back of my mind for a long time, because I saw how well the laundromat served as a place to engage, right? Mm -hmm. To build people up, to talk with each other. So I thought, you know, why not turn the laundromat into a place of civic dialogue, right? Where there's a lot to talk about coming up with the election and in general every day with issues that are impacting our lives and our quality of life and things that happen in our neighborhood so yeah why not use the laundromat to do that and it's been really fantastic i've been to a number of laundromats i was on staten island at star laundromat on sunday for uh, a couple of hours and such a great diversity of opinions and it's really you know interesting to see how those that diversity changes from neighborhood to neighborhood and what matters most and mm. also the conversations that build you know i was in a laundromat in astoria And I was talking to one man who was 65 years old, and he never voted in his life. Mm. And he said, you know what? My vote doesn't matter. Nothing ever changes, regardless of the candidate in office. And then I spoke to this other woman who was in the U.S. Uh, for 30 years now. She's from Bangladesh, and she's like, I always vote. And then we had this great conversation between us. Wow. Uh, so, it, you know, it's it's also, again, just having this conversation. So we're reflecting those
2: voices back to as part of uh, Suds and Civics, too. Very cool. Listeners, we'd like to know your neighborhood gems. Uh, is there a place in your community that serves as an oasis, whether it's a laundromat or anything else? Uh, what's a place that you take pride in? What's something that serves the community? Give us a call. We're at 212 433 9692. 212 433 WNYC. You can also text us at that number or you can reach us on Twitter, Instagram at all of it WNYC. 212 433 9692 again is the number. I want to talk about a different project the food. Memoir series, which you've been doing for a couple of years now. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, really wanted to
3: tell stories through food, right? And reflect how food is a reflection, if you will, of our personal and cultural identities. So, a couple of years ago, around, uh, you know, our, our big holiday season around November, uh, decided to start to talk to people about family recipes and stories that they have related to their family recipes. And people have shared so many amazing stories with really a common thread. Food helps to bond us together, right? Mm -hmm. Food helps us to have lasting memories. Food brings us so much comfort. Just the taste of a dish that we made in the kitchen when we were five years old with our grandmothers brings right. back this flood of memories. Yes. And also there, you know, regardless of your cultural background or the dish... We all have those memories and we all can relate to them. And I also say, you know, it's been it was wonderful for me because many of these interviews, I met people in their homes, in their kitchens, and they were so giving and wonderful. And I gained like 10 pounds doing (laughs) the food memoir project. But really, you know, when you when you hear these stories, they're just so personal, but at the same time. We can all relate to them because we all connect and, again, grow memories
2: through food. Let's hear from one of the people you spoke to as part of the Food Memoir series. Here's Lisa Wade. She lives in Addisley Park, Queens, and she talked to you about her family food memory.
0: It was a breakfast, like a Sunday morning breakfast that we would have. My great-grandmother would make for me, and especially with grits. It was the best thing ever. We're from Tennessee, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So I share that love of rice. (laughs) What floods back for me that memory is me sitting in our dining room on a Sunday before church so she made it very early and gobbling it up and just thinking about how good it is because it's usually very crispy and I like the crispiness of the salmon cakes. My great grandmother died when I was 11, no no, 15. And she was particular about not sharing the recipe with me because she was a cook and she wanted me to get an education. And she did not want me to cook in someone else's kitchen or living. So it's like a double-edged sword for me because I don't have a recipe. So I just have to remember enough to make it.
2: I love that memory, George, because she's remembering the, the details as she's yeah. telling you the story, yeah. even the process of talking about it helps to bring people's memories back and helps people to understand how they connect with one another and their past. It's it's wonderful. The This was also part of the, the Queen's Memory Project, this particular conversation? Yeah, so uh,
3: the Queen's Memory Project is a great project that works to preserve stories and for photographs uh, of life in Queens. And they have their own project where they're capturing stories around recipes and even putting out cookbooks based on the, those recipes. So we talked and we said, you know what, let's work together. So uh, I've set up shop at some of their events, put my little story booth out, and invited people over to share stories about recipes. In fact, uh, Lisa, I met at one of those events in Addisley Park. So, uh, you know, great opportunity to connect, and we're doing
2: also great work in preserving these stories for uh, future generations. And this uh, this month, February, as part of Black History Month, you talked to people about Black-owned bookstores. Uh, what, what made you choose that particular topic? Well, first
3: of all, I love a good bookstore. So <laughs> any excuse to go to a good bookstore right. is reason enough for me. But the independent bookstore scene also isn't what it used to be. But we still have these really fantastic neighborhood gems. But beyond that, Matt, there is a lot of history here, right? The country's first Black-owned bookstore was established nearly 200 years ago in Manhattan, Hmm. and it served as a space for African Americans who were denied access to the city's public libraries. It was founded by a publisher, David Ruggles, back in 1834, 1 Cortland Street, and he was a black abolitionist, a writer, a publisher who played a lead role in the early network that would become the Underground Railroad. And today, many black-owned bookstores continue a tradition of being more than just purveyors of books, and we have some great ones in the New York metropolitan region, including one in central Harlem. I met uh, a wonderful, wonderful woman. Her name is Dawn Harris-Martine. She's in her mid-80s now. And she started what wasn't a bookstore back in 1999. It was something else. I'll let her share it in her own words. But she saw a need in her neighborhood, and she acted on it. I opened Grandma's place in 1999. There was a vacant building right next door to my house, and I did not want a laundromat or a restaurant in there. So I decided, what did this community need? And I said, it needed a literacy center to teach parents and children to read.
4: I was gonna name it the Kindred Literacy
3: Center. And my seven-year-old granddaughter said, no, Grandma, it's your place. It should be named Grandma's place. Yeah, so Matt, that literacy center over time, it's an interesting story because she was a school teacher at the time, working full time as a school teacher, and she would open the literacy center at three o'clock in the afternoon after work. Wow. And over time, it's New York City, the rent went up, and she said, you know, I want to keep this place, but I also need to pay the rent. So she turned it into a bookstore with about 20,000, 25,000 volumes of books that she had in her home. And it didn't do so well. It wasn't doing so well. So then she said, you know what, I'm going to put some educational children's books and toys in here. And it stuck. And it lasted. And she's still doing that. It's a wonderful shop, Central Harlem, grandma's place. And it was it was rooted in her desire to help benefit the community and now she's deeply deeply committed to increasing financial literacy it's a big push of her now to, to hers now and to do um you know financial literacy programs uh within
2: within the area too wow shout out to grandma's place uh, so it's in central harlem and it's operating and open yeah wow. yeah I definitely check it out it's and you know that's the wonderful thing about all of
3: these bookstores is yeah. the diversity of titles in the bookshops and mm. uh One common theme in all the bookstore owners that I talked with are, are, you know, they saw the importance of making sure that kids and adults, of course, see themselves reflected in the titles uh, of these books and the authors of these books. You know, and I went to Source of Knowledge Bookstore in Newark, New Jersey, which is now one of my also new favorite bookstores. I have some. They're all my favorite. (laughs) But, uh, But when you walk in and you see all of these children's books lining the shelves that reflect, you know, black and brown children, you know, amazing. Amazing stories, uh, you know, of success and triumph. And and Don um, Harris Martin shared the same thing. Growing up as a kid, she didn't see herself uh, in books. So so important uh, for all of these bookstores to make sure that people see themselves in books. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a little kid. And uh, uh, but you can see a kid walking into any one of these stores and saying, "Wow, I could be president. I could be astronaut." Right. And uh, it was just really wonderful. And so important
2: to all of these owners to uh, to reflect that in their in their titles, their books. Listeners, is there a particular bookstore or a place like grandma's place in your neighborhood? WNYC's Community Partnership Desk, run by George Bodarki, has talked about Black-owned bookstores, food memories. Next month, he wants to hear your story of neighborhood gems. So give us a call. Give George some suggestions. What place in your community serves as an oasis or a place that you might take pride in? What's something that serves the community and and maybe people beyond the community don't know about give us a call at 212-433-9692 that's 212-433-WNYC you can also text us at that number or reach us at all of it WNYC on social media tell us your neighborhood gem 212-433-9692 we actually just got a text George my f- Little free library located across from a retirement home and a park is an impromptu multi generational gathering space huh, I in love Bay that. Ridge, Brooklyn. Huh. How about that? I Very love cool, that. George. Last year, you spoke to people who got involved in community gardens, and I wanted to play some more tape. I love hearing these voices. This is Mike Young, who is recounting his garden origin story, uh, which happened when he moved from Queens to Mudhaven.
5: I moved here. And I was taking my daughter to school one day, and we noticed this lot. This was not a garden at the time. We are living in apartments, and I've always bragged about, wow, I would love to have a backyard for the family. And she said, Daddy, you, you can make that a backyard. I'm like, that's a lot of work. And at that time, it was old car parts here, old refrigerator parts. They made it a dumping ground, you know? Until one day I saw a cute little old lady, Miss Ollie. She had a little pair of scissors and on a on a little step ladder and she was trying to prune the trees. I said Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> the oh my goodness, right? Yeah. I I mean it, it he he sees a elderly woman standing on a little step ladder trying to help a tree, and then he gets involved and he remembers that all these years later and the way he tells the story, it is so it is so visual. I mean, these are the stories that make up the fabric of a city and a community. And, and, you know, we don't, in the newsroom, we don't always necessarily get to get into that, those sorts of stories. The packaging of news stories doesn't always allow for it, but no, you guys can. No, and
3: really, when you think about that when you walk past something in your neighborhood and you look at it take a moment and think about what's the story behind it, right? So who would have known that was the origin story of that community garden in the Bronx? And there were so many stories similar to that of people who, you know, started community gardens because they saw a need or they helped a neighbor. And all of a sudden, boom, here's this garden popping up in a community. But yeah, it's so true, Matt. It's like around every corner. If you stop and you think,
2: what's the story here? Some amazing stories. We need to take a short break. We will have more with George Bodarki plus your calls. This is all of it. You're listening to all of it. I'm Matt Katz, filling in for Allison Stewart. And we're talking with George Bodarki from WNYC's Community Partnerships Desk and the work that George and his team do going out into the community, talking to folks about their memories and their neighborhoods and their communities. Last year, George, you spoke to older LGBTQ adults as part of Pride Month. And I want to jump back in by playing some tape from a woman named Donna Sue Johnson, but maybe you should tell us about her first. Yeah, Donna Sue. Donna Sue, I
3: can still see her big smile. She had the most infectious smile and laugh, but Donna described herself to me as this, and this is a quote, direct quote, a big, black, beautiful, bohemian, bougie, Buddhist, butch, lesbian. (laughs) So I think that tells you a lot about Donna Sue's character Mm. and who she is, and she's an outspoken woman, a wonderful woman. She came out when she was in the military, and she found a lot of solace in Reading when she was younger, but overall, she was just a blast to talk with.
5: I remember seeing Dykes on Bikes, and I remember calling my grandmother and I said, Wow, Mama Dot. We called her Mama Dot. I said, Wow, Mama Dot, I can't wait to get a motorcycle. She said, We don't have no Dykes on Bikes in this family. I said, Mama Dot, how do you know about Dykes on Bikes? She said, I watch Phil Donahue. (laughs) What a magnificent epiphany of blissful pleasures to be able to understand and embrace who I am as a black lesbian who is aging with grace, aging in place and aging intelligently. Not all of my cohorts are able to do so.
2: That was Donna Sue Johnson. She sounds fantastic. um George, I want to go to the phone lines and get some suggestions for neighborhoods for you to go to and hear some more stories like from men meet more people like Donna Sue. So let's go to actually appropriately enough, Sue from Manhattan. <laughs> Hi there, sue
4: <laughs> hello Hi. um i um um my daughter recommended a um a cafe to visit, and um it's called the Art Box Cafe. It was originally going to be called Our Box, and then she changed it to Art Box, so it's spelled O-U-R-T, and it's at 2144 Fifth Avenue, which is halfway between, on the west side of the street, halfway between, uh, 132nd and 133rd, uh, 132nd and 131st in Harlem, and, uh, right up from the National Black Theater where they're renovating, um, uh it's owned by a woman named Lydia and uh Lydia runs a small cafe but originally and it's a wonderful cafe and she makes wonderful wonderful banana puddings and it's really a welcoming space for um uh she has a small garden in the back so it can be an event space when the weather is warm um and I really recommend going there as a cafe. But it was originally the Gumby Book Studio. Alexander Gumby, um, um, who lived from 1885 to 1961, mm. opened the cafe. And you can look it up. If you look up Alexander Gumby, G-U-M-B-Y, um, it's, it's really quite interesting. For five or six years, he had this Gumby Book Studio. And there's a plaque on the wall. It's not, huh. it's not a museum. It's now a cafe, but um, she took over a space and I said to her when I met her, um, this is really a beautiful space. It's sort of unusually perfect for a cafe. And she said it's because it was one of the first small museums in Harlem um, and and certainly one of the first LGBTQ um, museums. So I highly want to recommend it. It's art boxed. Artbox Studio, Uh, O-U-R-T, Box, uh and um, it's open every, I think it's open every day but Monday, but you can look
2: it up. Thank you very much, Sue. George was taking notes. Yes, I was taking notes. I mean, I love that, right?
3: Because not only is it a neighborhood gem in its existing form, but the history behind it, and that is so wonderful about New York City, right? And sometimes you just need to ask the question. Uh, You see a plaque on the wall? What's right. that plaque? What's that about? You know, I once found this story and I and I did a story about it because I was in a diner in Park Slope, Brooklyn and I saw a photo on the wall of a plane that had, you know, was, it was a crashed plane. I'm like, where was that? There was like, that was right out here. And mm. I'm like, when was that? I think it was, I want to say, don't, quote me, but it might have been like in the sixties and I had no idea. But there was like a whole story behind that and people who still lived in the neighborhood who remembered that.
2: You know, so this is uh this is wonderful. Took notes. Uh thank you. Beautiful. All right. Let's go from and thank you, Sue. Let's go from Manhattan to uh Brooklyn. Zakia, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can can you hear me? Absolutely. Thanks for calling.
5: Thank you for having me. I just wanted to give a shout-out to the Free Black Women's Library. Um, It's located 226 Marcus Garvey Boulevard in the Bedford-Stuyvesant area. It is a beautiful community space in which women come and work. You can bring your laptop and sit down and do your work. The phenomenal thing about this space is that all of the books in the space are written by black women authors. Um Ola started this as a passion project on her stoop sharing books and giving books to people in the Bedford-Stuyvesant community and it's morphed into a home and a space for people to come and sit and read and partake in all of the events. And all of all of the events are free. Yeah, I don't know what else you wow. want me to say, but I just wanted to share that as we talk about phenomenal spaces and spaces that represent uh, black, women, black people and Black women in particular.
2: Thank you very much. It's like yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, George was again taking notes. I'm getting so a growing it. list here. I love it. <laughs> you know, it's interesting George, there there's this concept of uh, of of I think it's third space. You have your home and you have your work and then there's this idea that people need another place where they can where they can be, where they can exist, where they can interact with people they know, and strangers, and that's important for communities. Yeah,
3: so important. And, you know, that could be a community garden, that can be a bookshop, that could be a cafe, but really it is that space, right, that solace that we find outside of our own homes. And then certainly with places like community gardens, and we heard that from Mike in the Bronx, like, you know, when you don't have a backyard and you don't have a balcony, where else do you go? And, and these spaces within neighborhoods just enrich people so much, and there's so much pride in, in keeping them up.
2: And going strong, we have a we have a text about another bookstore. The World's Borough Bookstore is a fairly new bookstore in Jackson Heights, where there was a pitiful dearth of books, bookshops, according to our our texter. Uh, it's also an events an events venue and near a school whose students like to where students like to go after school. That's, all right.
3: Yeah, that's great. You know, that's also a recurring story related to bookstores because even in the Bronx, for instance, where there was a Barnes & Noble in Bay Plaza and when that closed, you know, people were really saddened by that because there was a place for them to go and there weren't uh, other really places to go. So one of the bookstores that we focused on um, in Mott Haven, the Edokia bookstore, uh, opened also now a community space uh, and a place for people to go for educational events and other things. So again, not just uh, a bookstore, but affording, much
2: more, so I can definitely relate to that one. You know, one one theme that that runs through the 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 interviews that you've done is that no one you talk to is is famous. I mean, these are not household names; um, they're just people out there living their lives. Uh, what, why, why is that important to you to kind of lift up those voices? I mean, these are the voices
3: that make this city tick, right? This, these are who we all are right with our own stories. And there's so much that we can learn from each other and each other's stories. I mean, storytelling at the core of it connects us. So I often say ordinary people, I don't know what that means, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. we're all extraordinary in our own right, but, uh, extraordinary stories and sometimes even what we don't think are extraordinary stories can really impact somebody else because it makes you feel inspired. It helps you to get over a hurdle because someone else is sharing something that you can relate to. Um, And again, it's thinking about we never know what somebody else's story is. Yeah. So to get to know that and to understand that again, th- this is the fabric. This is what keeps our communities going. So that's really what it's it's at, right? Not just celebrity,
2: if right. you will. <laughs> and, and do do you hear from people afterwards that they appreciated the opportunity to be able to talk to hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers yeah, on the air?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Not only that, but people do. I, you know, they they really do appreciate the fact that their voice is heard, right? Um, that that their voice matters and. And also on the other side of that, hearing from people who say, thank you for sharing that because I related to it, or it made me think of my grandmother and cooking in the kitchen. And it took me back to this place. Uh, so yeah, on both
2: sides, people appreciate sharing, and then we appreciate receiving. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, listen to one more story, get one more story shared. Uh, Jack is a caller from the East Village. If Jack is available to us, maybe not just yet. Okay, no Jack. Uh, tell us before we get. Oh, Jack is now here. Right. Hey, Jack. Hello. Hi. You're you're on the air. Thanks for calling
1: in. Oh my gosh. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <Hello>. Big time <laughs> listener. Welcome. Love love NPR. Excellent. It, it, no, I wanted to uh, to talk about a cafe on my street called the Lazy Llama Cafe. Um, it became extremely important for the whole neighborhood. Um, during the time of COVID because she kept the cafe open. And uh, suddenly there were no cars on the street. There was very little pedestrian traffic from outside of the community. And for the first time, having lived here for 40 years, I became aware of my neighbors, uh, people in my building who would, we'd pass and not talk. Suddenly we were meeting for coffee and social connection. And it's become so important to the community in terms of supporting each other, shared conversations, uh, health issues. um, A lady in my building uh, lost her husband, um, uh, and we all were able to share in that story. Mm -hmm. Um, And also she gives out treats. The woman who runs the cafe, Oya, she's originally from Turkey. She's the most generous, and she's beautiful, beautiful. And she hands out uh, uh, treats for the dogs. So you can see the dogs pulling on the leashes down the street, aiming for the cafe oh. and p- pulls them in. And but it's it's made such a difference to our neighborhood being able to talk about neighborhood issues, being able to take care of ourselves, um, have that space, checking out for each other. Yeah. And uh, I have a great idea for a television series. <laughs> I don't know if you know a, sh- a show called Coronation Street. <laughs> yeah, it's been up a, a big time thing on on BBC. Well.
2: well, well. Well, Jack, we'll take your uh, we'll take that concept at a later date. But really appreciate calling in, let us letting us know about your your coffee shop. That's great. Thanks so much, Jack. Uh, George, thank you very much. Tell us real quick before I let you go, what do you have on top for March?
3: Yes. Yeah, so neighborhood gems. I'm taking note here. That okay. Great. In
2: Lama Cafe and these
3: other recommendations sound great. So yeah. Uh, later in March, you can expect us to be out in communities talking to folks
2: about their neighborhood gems. George Bodarkey from WNYC's Community Partnerships Desk. Thanks so much, George. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm David Remnick, host of The New Yorker Radio Hour.
3: There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.